Hello, this is Scott Gordon. Hi, I'm Paul Holmgren. Hey, this is the biggest suitcase to ever play the game, Mike McKenna. This is Dale Weiss. Hi, this is Bob Clark. You listen to. And you're listening to. You're listening to. And you're listening to. You're listening to. Snow the goalie. 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 Welcome back into Snow the Goalie, the only Flyers podcast, the people's podcast, the players' podcast. Wait a second. Anthony Sanfilippo, it, it looks like we have a couple other people in the room with us. What, what, What is this? Oh, that's you right. Mean, you, wait, that, wait, 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 Russ. What? You, mean, you mean to tell me that you've been providing wrong information about our podcast for the two years that we've been running this thing now? I, I don't know what you're talking about. Of course, this is a crossover episode. We are the only Flyers podcast, but the only all NHL podcast with a heavy flyer slant is with us today. And of course, that is stick to hockey. We've got Jason Martinez and Russ Cohen. I'm, I'm allowing another Russ to be present. So uh. <laughs> it's the dueling Russes. Wow. My mom would be happy. <laughs> thanks for well, joining thanks us for today, joining guys. Us, guys, we appreciate it. Look at that, Russ. We said the same thing at the same time. Oh, that's synergy. We're like twins, is, except is, not at all. Symbiotic. Um, yeah, no, but thanks for joining us. We, we really appreciate it. We always wanted to do one of these. And, you know, Jay, you had the great idea of doing the uh, Philadelphia Hockey Roundtable, which we did back in uh, early March, I think it was, or late, uh, early February. I'm sorry, early February. Yeah, February. Um, back in, uh, we did over at Xfinity Live, which was pretty awesome. Um, but we wanted to always just do one with just you guys, yeah, you know, just you guys, because you know it's like you know you have your you have your friends who are in the community, but then you have mm-hmm. the ones who you, the people you say, yeah, they know what the hell they're talking about. Let's get them on the show. And so therefore, you know, I was glad Russ reached out to you guys first, because if he reached out to Meltzer first, we would have said, yeah, Bill, we wanted to talk with you because yeah, you know, we want to do it with the best. You know, I would have said the same thing to Bill, right? Mm-hmm. So. <laughs> Well, that's so quite we, an honor because Bill's like an encyclopedia. He's like the Ray Dinger of the is, Flyers. He absolutely, he is. Is. he's the best. We will be having uh, Bill on, I think, uh, either next week or the week after, which will be fun. But uh, we wanted to make sure that we start off with a bang here, with the. Uh... Well, I'll be sure to let Bill know that he played second fiddle to Russ and I. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That's. Uh, I'll, I'll tell him. It's all over. It's all over. Blame for Russ. Us. Blame <laughs> Russ Joy. Of course, uh, the the whole reason that we're doing this crossover show is because the Philadelphia Flyers have uh, absolutely taken the hockey world by storm. They've had an extremely exciting offseason, and they have uh, poised themselves as perhaps the number one team in the entire league. And so we thought, what better way to, to really uh, cap off what has been a very exciting free agency period than by having these guys on. So... Uh, Wow. I'm Did sh- I not get a memo? I'm, I'm sure that uh, you guys have plenty of thoughts on all of the great doings that the Flyers have had. I, I think I want to lead off with uh, the most recent news to come out, which, of course, was uh, Paul Holmgren stepping down as team present, president and uh, taking a new role role as a uh, senior advisor to Comcast Spectacore chairman and CEO Dave Scott. Oh, I thought you were going to talk about the signing of Nick Albay-Kubel. Oh, I'm sorry. Russ. Oh, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. Don't forget, well, that's Anthony. That's the most that was, recent. That was the Ron Hextall darling on uh, on Snow the Goalie a year ago as being a guy who could come in and make the team. We saw how that worked out. Uh, Jason, Russ, were either of you uh, surprised? And I'll even throw this to Anthony because he's allowed to talk on this show. Um, were you guys surprised by the news? It seemed like one of the worst-kept secrets around the organization. 
I, for one, was not surprised at all. And I think, Anthony, you and I probably had some discussions about things that we were hearing in regard to that. And, and on the Stick to Hockey podcast, I had mentioned several times that uh, this was going to be the end for, for Paul Holmgren. And I know he's taken on, as you termed it, Russ, um, a new role. He's essentially retiring, and he's just going to get paid for being retired to answer the telephone. So I'm not surprised by it at all. Um, I think this played a part in everything that all of the decisions that took place from November on when Ron Hextall was fired to this moment. Um, So I I think that this was in the cards all season long. At least I had heard it was. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had heard from several people that I really uh, have good relationships with and wouldn't steer me in the wrong direction that this was going to happen this summer. Uh, I was kind of waiting and waiting for it to happen. Then, I guess last week it was, we got the news that, yeah, he did indeed step down as the president. Chuck Fletcher assumes that role. So I'm not surprised by it at all. I know Paul um, wants to spend more time with his family, his grandchildren. He's given his life to hockey. And despite what Flyers fans may think, he is a great man. He's a Mm -hmm. really good guy. Um, he's done a lot for that organization over the years. And I know you look at Andrew McDonald's contract, you look at some of the missteps and everybody, if you're in the game long enough, has them. Um, but I also look at what he's done for USA hockey. And as a member of USA hockey, as a kid growing up, my son in it now coaching in it, um, to me, that's every bit as important of his legacy is with USA hockey as it is with the Flyers. Yeah. The only thing I'll add is I, I did hear it from Jason and, Paul Holmgren's probably responsible for hiring John Tortorella as the coach of USA Hockey. But anyhow, like you said, everybody has missteps, but he is a great guy. And <laughs> You don't like torts, huh? <laughs> I wish you would have hired Tortorella here. Uh, no, you don't. No, you don't. Uh, do, you know, do you forget what I do for a living? <laughs> he would make fun of your height. He would. <laughs> well, he would uh, share on that remark. Yeah, he would. But anyhow. I don't think anybody the, in this, uh, on this show today is uh, really all that tall, right? No. We're, I, we're all about the same... Uh... Same thing. We'll, Pretty close. we'll shrink Pretty San Filippo down a little bit. But the, the only thing I could add is it's one less cook in the kitchen, and that's a positive. Um, I thought, I'll be honest with you guys, and, and like Jason said, you know, we knew, we heard this was ha- going to happen a while ago. I mean, you know, we talked, you know, we talked privately about it. I know you, Jason, mentioned it on, on his pod. I know, Russ, we talked about it on our pod. We talked about it press row show and then we actually interviewed paul and i tried to get him to tell us in the interview that he was retiring and he wouldn't do it um he wouldn't actually go live on on the air and say it but um i I thought for a second guys and you you know you guys can let me know what you think i thought as stuff was happening um where there were major changes within the organization i hold i mean this whole organization did a rework this summer okay and I, I don't just mean on you know on the hockey ops side I mean on the business side as well there were a lot of major changes with this organization and I thought when that was all happening that Paul might try to hang out one more year because he was really the last connection to the old regime and try to kind of you know stay the course just a little bit longer before he left. So I, I was starting to think that that might happen. I don't know, you know, Jay, if you thought that that might be something that they were, that yeah. he was thinking, you know? It, it was something that, you know, I was trying to actually do some digging on that exact subject because when that upheaval happened um, down there and 20 people, upwards of 20 people um, lost their jobs, there was a lot of 
people kind of wondering who's going where, who's doing what. And for the last couple of years prior to Ron Hextall's firing, um, Paul was heavily involved in, in the business side. And that's where, as you alluded to, Ant, a lot of this bloodshed was. So I was trying to find out, but, you know, it was odd because everything that was happening on that side of the building, um, nobody could put their finger on kind of who was going where and who was doing what. It was a massive reorganization. The people that stayed are in different roles. And I think people right now are trying to just figure out which way's up, which way's down, and right and left at this point. But, yeah, I, I thought that maybe that could be the case. Um, but then when I had heard that he was spending all of his time at the skate zone in Cherry Hill, I said he's done. Yeah. Because if that were the case, he would have been at the Wells Fargo Center and the business offices. But when I had heard that he was at uh, spending all of his time across the river, if you will, at the practice facility, then I knew that yeah, he was he was walking away. Yeah, and that and that makes sense. And you know, and I while you know I, I've said it before, I'm not going to. You know, Jason just brought it up on his own without any prompting from me. I mean, Paul Holmgren is a is a great human being, a great person, um, and, and uh, was a better. Uh, general manager and president than this town will ever give him credit for, even with uh, the couple of mistakes that he made. Um, that said, I, I have a feeling now that what we're what we're seeing is the Dave Scott era of Flyers hockey, for better or for worse. Um, and we can all have opinions on whether it's going to be better or whether it's <laughs> going to be worse. But I mean, yeah. I think that he has absolutely put his fingerprints all over this organization and has made sure that we've seen him put his like it's been a messy fingerprint job by him to make sure that we know that they are his and not anybody else's no hatchet oh man God, or yeah. anything else yeah. like and a, he's uh, left DNA all over the crime scene yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> exactly so like I'm not 100% sure what that his particular motivation is especially since he's not really a hockey guy. I mean, he kind of said he's becoming one over the last few years since he kind of went into Ed Snyder's old role. But I mean, at the same time, if if it's not in your blood, like you don't just suddenly have it, right? It doesn't just suddenly show up. So, what has been the the motivation for him to completely reorganize this this team and this organization to get to where they are right now uh, as we head into 2019-2020? To me, and it's profitability. Yeah, it's, it's all business more related. Yeah. yeah, it's all it's all profit. It is. It's about that. So let's not forget too that Dave Scott was retired. He had to be coaxed out of retirement to come in and oversee this. So that's something that kind of doesn't sit great with me. You know what I mean? Like you had one foot in retirement, and he's probably very wealthy and had a nice retirement going. Now he's taking on this this larger than life rebranding because I mean that's what they're essentially trying to do as well. And whether they've gone about it the right way, I think they've had some missteps. The way the Kate Smith thing was rushed so quickly, and I don't want to get into political things here, and I know it's all over the Flyers' Facebook page every time you open it. Um, but, you know, just the way – I think that they're trying to figure it out, and I don't know that they have any kind of definitive plan that they say this is our ten steps to get to where we want to get to. I think a little bit of it is shooting from the hip. What if I? Um, so what so if, let let me let me just ask you guys really quick before we kind of go all the way down this Comcast path. The the Holmgren move, you know, while there were the rumors throughout the year that this was going to be it for him, do you do you feel like this is a, a matter of Dave Scott looking to push out Paul Holmgren, who many considered to be the guy who was supposed to carry on the Snyder legacy of what the Flyers were in Snyder's eyes and make sure that that was never lost after his death? 
or do you think this was like a, a moment where Paul Holmgren just got tired of the fight because there there were rumblings and I alluded this into you know in something that I wrote for the for Crossing Broad but there was definitely the idea that he was in multiple conflicts of personality we'll say with people who are from the Comcast side of things not necessarily within the Flyers organization do you think Holmgren just got to a point where it wasn't worth it anymore for him to continue to fight this battle that he knew ultimately, one, he might not be able to win, and two, just might not be worth it? Yeah, I'll answer. I think he did take it as far as he could. I think hockey has changed enough that the Flyers' way that Ed Snyder knew and maybe Paul liked still to some degree really isn't there anymore. So I think I, I think he probably saw the writing on the wall and – and helped as much as he could, and then said, you know what, I'm good. Yeah, I mean, to, to kind of to piggyback on what Russ said, I, I think that's kind of what happened as well. I mean, I think Paul said, I've kind of done everything I've wanted to do in this game. You know, he played in the game. He was a Minnesota high school hockey legend, comes in, plays in the National Hockey League, uh, coached in this league. If I'm, if I'm correct, I think he won a Jack Adams too, didn't he, Anthony? Yes, he did. And I think he won in an executive of the year as well, if I remember correctly, was that for 2010 yep. when he got Pronger? Yep. And and then, I, I mean, I, I don't know what else there is for him to accomplish. Well, he didn't win a Stanley Cup. Well, yeah, that's well, that's kind of a big one. Um, <laughs> but I mean, from a from an individual perspective, he kind of accomplished everything. And you know, it's funny you go back to kind of what, what Rush Joy said earlier and his legacy and how it'll be remembered. In, in a lot of ways, it'll be remembered like a like a bubbling idiot because that's what people think now because they don't know some of the other things and uh you know we're not sitting here to to do a testimonial on paul holmgren no but 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 and he made a lot of missteps no doubt about it ron hextel had to clean it up um but i think that he just wanted to rechart the organization this year recharted it put it in the hands of chuck fletcher who i think he has a lot of trust in and is fine taking a reduced role significantly reduced i i I, i'm going to come i'm going to take the minority opinion here uh, and I'm going to tell you that I think that he was forced out a little bit more. Um, and I'll tell you that my under – well, I don't want to say understanding because I've, I've talked to a lot of people. But my thought process after talking to a lot of people is that um, a lot of the decisions that are being made now are being made for the Wells Fargo Center and not necessarily for – the Philadelphia Flyers, if that makes sense. The, no, it does. The, the building, and that's, you know, there's competition for events, right? And the Wells Fargo Center is the third most active building uh, in the United States. Um, it, it, it gets more events than almost every other building in the country. And in order to, to maintain competitiveness, they needed to change the, the you know, do all the, the um, renovations inside and get all that taken care of and really try and stay ahead of the competition. And what they did is they, they wanted to kind of refocus the Comcast Spectacore dollars and, and, and money. And when you, you guys talk about this being, you know, about a, a business decision, that, and that's what Dave Scott's fingerprints are, that that's where this is mo- uh, more focused, that they more, are more concerned with is making sure the Wells Fargo Center stays a preeminent location for events than they are worried about the Flyers being a top-end hockey franchise in the National Hockey League. That's yeah, I, my I take tell, on it. Yeah, I will tell you, and I've heard very similar things to that, and it's, it's a good point that you bring up, because with that reorganiz- reorganization on the business side, 
a lot of the people that were retained are now in different roles and they are shared roles amongst the building and the team, whereas that was never the case before, as you know. Right. Well, I'll tell you the one thing that, you know, struck me right when the, you know, when all this started, it's like the focus of of the Flyers marketing was on gritty, not on the Flyers in the offseason. And it showed when the season started. It did. They had so much focus on, on gritty and getting his name out there. They did such a great job with that. But then with the actual hockey product, not so much. I mean, could you blame them there? I mean, going in a yeah, la- I mean, going into last season though. Like, what exactly would you have done differently to market the Flyers? I probably would have at least marketed the young players and done a little bit more with that to get everybody used to what's coming down the pike. These are the guys that are going to help carry us forward with Giroux and Couturier and such. I would have at least done a little more of that. But don't you think? I think, to, I think the, the problem with that was the slow start combined with the viral nature of gritty may have forced their hand a little bit in that regard, I would think. Sure. But, I don't necessarily um, think that was a bad thing, though. So, like, let me let me kind of look at this the other way, I guess. The team was underwhelming to start. And while I understand the idea of, like, hey, let's let's get the casual fan, let's get your Philadelphia 4 for 4 fan uh, a little bit better accustomed to or or aware of, you know, the Travis Konechny's of the world or the Nolan Patrick's of the world, maybe the Travis Sanheim's, that doesn't push the... Like, that, to me, doesn't move the needle at all, right? But, like, gritty for better or worse, was going to be something that people were going to be able to glom onto, love or hate. And then it was funny, if you remember, like initially everybody hated Gritty until the yeah. national media went after Gritty. And then all of a sudden it was just the uh, everybody kind of rallying around the Philadelphia guy. How dare you you know, call out our, our orange fanatic? Um, I, I, I can't necessarily say that I blame the team for doing what they did in, in kind of going with Gritty. And I think to, a, to an extent it ended up... I don't know, kind of helping a little bit, especially with the younger players, that their their play wasn't under the microscope nearly as much as it would have been had it not been for this, you know, goofy furry mascot. Yeah, uh, I mean, I agree with that. And, you know, it's hard to market Nolan Patrick when he's off to yet another slow start. And a lot of times he is, used to use the word aloof would be the understatement of the year. I think I interviewed him in, in his rookie year and he fell asleep on his blade of a stick. Um <laughs> <laughs> it, that was in between periods, by the way. Um, and, I th- and I think I interviewed him because he had a goal. Um, but I mean, I looked, I looked at somebody in PR and I said, like, seriously, like, and he's like, I'll talk to him. I mean, like, I mean, help me help you. You know what I mean? Uh, but anyway, uh, but yeah, I, th- I think that they were a tough bunch to market. And, you know, it's so hard. Like, how, how do you market players in this league right now when you look across the street? And you look at a guy like Joel Embiid and you go, well, we really don't have to put a lot of thought in how to market this big fella. But these guys, you know, the hockey players, it's all about the team. And, you know, this guy supported me and does this and time and space. And it's the same rhetoric. You know, we, we bitch and complain when guys actually say something. And then we bitch and complain when nobody ever says anything. So I, well, I, I don't the, know what the answer is. And one of the most <laughs> – you know, one of the things that I think I, I said to Anthony a bunch last year was like one of the, the only players that I encountered in my first year around the team that was outspoken about things was Dale Weiss. And he's not the guy that you want to be the mouthpiece for your team, no. right? He's not the guy that you want to be the most open and honest. But when we interviewed him, like that was I think one of the things that stood out was the fact that you know he was very outspoken about how NHL players need to start to kind of grab the spotlight a little bit open up about themselves and, you know, about more than just the team concept. And, you know, it was shortly after, after that point he got put on or he, uh, he got, you know, demoted, but shortly, I, 
Yeah, it was. It was the next. It was the next. It was. Yeah, it was the next day. Hours. The pod. The podcast went live, and Dale Weiss died. Rest in peace. I did one show for the Peter Laviolette show, and he got fired the day after we did one show. <laughs> That's right. I remember that, Jace. I remember. They that figured he had they couldn't fire show. you, so one of you had to go, right? Yeah. Yeah, you can't fire the player. I'm like, who the hell's the player? <laughs> All right, but you know, to piggyback off of this, so what would your marketing slogan be this year? I mean, I've seen a few posts for Carter Hart, but I don't see any concerted effort just yet. Season's not that far away. Uh, what's the marketing this year for the players? Push Gritty aside. Everybody knows who Gritty is now. Now you still need to push the players. Well, you got to – I think you're right, Ross. I think Carter Hart has to be the guy that they're going to – you know, I mean, not just the only one. I mean, you don't want to put too much pressure on a 20-year-old kid. No, you right? don't. But I, I definitely think that he um, – has to be one of the guys who is uh, uh, who's brought in uh, as a as a marketing tool, uh, and then you probably have to stick with you know the, the guys who've been around Giroux and Voracek, and you know. But none of the you're right. None of the other young players really inspire um, you, you know a, a strong marketing plan, and, and it's it's tough. It's tough for them. I to think come you up could do them. it with Connecty because he could be a real jerk on the ice, and I. He has personality. I think you can do it with connecting. All right, hold on. You have to get him signed. You have to get him signed first, but that's a whole other thing. Uh, I'm not so sure about Konechny. I think Konechny is a good, fiery personality. I, I think that you know we got to see him blossom a little bit with the uh, the Stadium Series documentary that NBC Sports Philly did. But I, again, like I don't know how that necessarily moves the needle for the fan that might have fallen away from the Flyers. I I, I want to just kind of stress. The last show that we did, I was very negative about the Flyers offseason, and I'm not looking to like rehash all of those things and open up all those wounds. <laughs> but I, I do think that this is organizational malpractice by the Flyers to, to be in a position right now where your franchise goalie, a, a 20-year-old kid, is going to have to probably be the, the face of your marketing campaign. I, I think that this is where you drop the ball as an organization by not going out and getting a flashier name. And I know that you can't base your entire offseason and, and your team's trajectory going forward on making the splashy move. But I am fearful that, you know, Hart already has enough pressure on him. And I, I don't think he needs the full weight of a marketing campaign and to be, you know, the second coming of uh, of Bernie Perrant to or, you know, to to be the the face of this franchise i just don't think it's a good thing and and i and you know i guess this is part of the other problem i i would argue that your best young players right now are probably some of your young defensemen and they're not flashy and they're not big hitters so again it's it's really hard to market this team but you know who does that fall on well let me ask you russ so who was the flashy guy that they should have gotten i mean i i have my shiny uh, toy i mean look i look at you know, I think anybody's going to point to the RFAs that were available, and and we talked about the math. Are still available. The, the math, yeah, and and about the fact that the math was going to be hard to make work, and the poison pills were going to be hard to make, and with RFAs they have to agree to the term. But um, you know, you had guys like Braden Point and and Mitch Marner out there, and I know that Toronto was going to do whatever it takes to retain Marner, and you would assume that Tampa would do the same thing for Point. But those guys would be flashy moves. They're both. What twenty two? They're coming off of massive point productive seasons. They're they're guys that you could fundamentally see as the heir apparent to Claude Giroux. Um, you were never in. I, I get that you were never in the market for Panarin. Like I get that. Um, but well, there are also trades. The like trades are another thing, right? And and they didn't make. Yeah. They, yeah. Well, I'll give you the one trade. Either. I'll give you the one trade. So. Truba. No, no, no. He he's not. 
he again wouldn't be if you're looking for marketing the trade you would have made is what the devils did and you would have gotten pk subat like if you're if that's what you wanted to market that's your perfect marketing tool right there well it's a shame you have an assistant coach that probably is part of the reason or or at least the public believes is part of the reason that you didn't go out and attempt to make that move right i mean like well it's one of the reasons why he left montreal because it was such a toxic environment for him at that point all said and done I mean, to me, the, the one thing that people do, and believe me, I'm the biggest advocate for offer sheets. Russ and I argued about it s- since the season started, and he had to buy me an iced tea because there was an offer sheet. Yes, there was. It was um, a fake one, but it still counts. It was a fake one. Yeah, but. Um, but, but here's the deal. Here's the thing. The problem with th- that tactic from a marketing perspective, it does two things. The first thing it does, if you if the team matches – you just told your fans that you need a player like that and you couldn't get him. So now it's a huge hole and the fan base goes off of what now you don't have. You lost something you never even had. So that's one part of it. And then the other part of it is that even if the, the other team does not match it, the way that these to, to put a contract forth on one of these guys is going to be such an overpayment just on the cap end of it then couple that with the f- equity of the four first-round picks if you're going after one of these high-priced guys like a Braden Pointer or a Marner or whoever. Um, to me, th- that's what makes it really difficult. And a GM, you know, you would think that GMs would do it more because of their shelf life as a GM. Like, screw it, I'm not worried about picks. I'm not going to be here if we lose anyway. So I might as well go after it. But I th- it, it, to me, it's one of those things that it's really risky because now you've lost something, even though you never had it. Yeah, I s- and that's a hard thing All for right, a so then I, to swallow. Yeah, I, I see what you're it. saying, but like I, I get, I, I get especially the cap hit side of it. My counter on on the the equity of the draft picks and the importance of the draft picks is is pretty simple. You go out and get and get a Mitch Marner, and, and you continue to build the depth of this team. Conceptually, you would then hope that those four first round picks are going to be late. They're going to be oh, late. Yeah, they're late. 22 to 30, and, 31. And yep. and at that point, you know, I, I don't think anybody could make the case that if Mitch Marner or Braden Point come in, replicate or even exceed their point production from a season ago at such a young age, that there's going to be a single fan that's going to be upset that you don't have the 26th pick or the 22nd pick in, in the next four drafts. That's just I think, yeah, but, but, but where the trickle down of that is, is in season, if you need a rental, you don't, don't have a first round pick to be able to get a legit rental. Sure. But, so, but also that's where it hurts. Yeah. Also, five years from that day, you fans would start to to say something. They would. They may not say something right away. The, I'll tell you the other thing, and I'll, I'll bring it back to Russ. If you're really, and again, I wasn't in favor of getting Subban, but I was just saying for marketing. If you want to market and you don't want to put the pressure on Hart, even though in junior hockey they marketed the hell out of him, um, then you know what? Market Elaine Vigneault because he's very charismatic, and maybe that's your best bet. Well, they're going to. I, yeah. I think that's an automatic. I think it's going to be, you know, they they basically new coaching staff. They basically brought back last year's team with two two veterans now on defense. That whether you you know, there's an argument whether or not they're big upgrades. They're probably marginal upgrades to what you had there. Um, and Kevin Hayes, who's not quite a 2C, but better than a 3C. And that's it. And that's, so those are the only changes you really made. And Vino. So Vino is going to be the – that's going to be it. It's going to be like, hey, this is the guy who's going to make the difference. This is going to be the difference between us missing the playoffs last year and being a contender in the Eastern Conference this year. And they're going to cross their fingers and hope that it works. 
I don't know if it will, but I mean that's what they're going to do. So I think certainly that's going to be Russ uh, Cohen. That's going to be the the marketing strategy for this team, uh, along with obviously the uh, Carter Hart and probably Claude Giroux, Jake Voracek, Sean Couturier. Well, well, here's the thing though, and I, I sent you guys a, a screenshot of this tweet, and, I, and it plays right into this. Um, what Fletcher has not done though is tap into his prospect pool, right? And you know, prospects are just that. They're just prospects until they do it at the NHL. It's just like any other sport. They're, they can be highly rated and whatever. It doesn't matter until you come through at the NHL level. And Isaiah from the OMB Puck Up podcast, great guys, said the Flyers had plenty of assets for a major shakeup this offseason, but seem to have taken a more conservative approach outside of the Hayes signing. Yet a lot of things have to go right for them to make the playoffs, let alone advance. Should they have done more? If so, what? Now, they could have gotten to these Truba conversations and into Subban, certainly, and been splashier and dipped into that. And that was a lot of people's fears that they would do that, that Chuck Fletcher didn't draft these guys. So he was going to go, I got all these assets. Let me cash them in now and try and put the best team on the ice immediately. And he didn't do that. So the, the question is, are you okay with that? Are you willing to grow with some of these younger assets? Or should he have used those to cash in now? Jason, I'll tell you what, I was not upset that he didn't go deep into the prospect pool because you still, unless you were getting, like you guys said, a Marner or somebody like that, a William Nylander, you can't give up those guys yet. And in a way, it was good that they didn't. I know Anthony you know, was talking about you may not get the desired effect with the guys that you got, but you know what? You also can't just make moves to make moves either. And maybe you wait and see how things shake out. I mean, as an example, I think the Rangers are going to sign Jacob Truba, but he hasn't signed yet. So, like, you don't know what's still coming down the pike. You don't even know before this season starts, when teams get in salary trouble, what might come down the pike, even right before the season starts. So, in a way, I'm, I'm happy that they held on to him. I, I just can't preach patience at this point, guys. I just can't. It's been too long of that this team has been mediocre. But how, they need to be. They need to be better than mediocre. How did the seventies? That's when, all they and, are. And Anthony, remember when you brought that up with Paul Holmgren and he like bristled at the concept at yeah. the at the at the mere suggestion the team has been mediocre. It's been seven years since a playoff victory, right? Well, it, it's been seven it's years since definition. the playoffs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been seven years since a playoff win, and although they've made the playoffs in the past seven years. They've barely gotten in. They've gotten in like towards the end of the season, the final week, you know, last couple games or whatever, last day of the season. Um, and then they've also missed the playoffs. So to me, and, and then when they miss, they like either just miss or were close and then fell off, you know, fell down a few spots in the final few games like they did this year. But the, the fact of the matter is, is that, um, you know, they're, they're just, it's not good enough to be mediocre for so long and then say, well, let's kind of let the, the organization grow with the kids. They got a great farm system. No, I don't care. I don't care. If you've built up such a great farm system and everybody loves your farm system and thinks, oh, these players are, are going to be such good NHL players. Okay, great. You can't use all of them. Use a couple of them to, to bring in something that can help the team now. I'm not saying trade, trade away the whole farm, but if you're overloaded and overstocked with that young talent, you can give up some of it and bring in something that will work. Other teams do it. Why can't we? It's not outrageous. I mean, as an example, if the Marner thing continues on and they're going to have to, the Leafs are going to have to pay him more than expected, 
you still might be able to shake loose a Kapanen or a Nylander. It's possible. So, you know, maybe you use them then. I mean, that's that's why there is still a, a slight chance for something like that. But otherwise, yeah, the ship sailed, right? But it 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 just feels like such an underwhelming offseason, not just because they didn't go out and get the big name, but but the fact that they were just never even in the conversation, right? Like, it almost would have made me feel better as somebody who's rooted for this team my entire life, and I'm sure for all of the people that are listening, I feel like it it would have been better for the organization to almost intimate that they were going to continue to infuse this team with new blood, right? Like if, And I don't think that Morgan Frost is ready to make that leap. I don't know if he's physically there. And I don't know if Isaac Ratcliffe is going to have a good enough camp to make this team. And I think Farabee's still a bit off. But I would almost feel better if the team had just come out and said, and Chuck Fletcher had said, we we weren't totally thrilled with our options in free agency, and we're going to continue to develop our guys and, and see if they can you know, grab a, a real spot on this roster. Let me ask you I, guys I would almost feel you, better about that. I, I feel like there something. could be better energy around the team than what they have now. Let me ask you guys something. Uh, is it possible that Chuck Fletcher uh, has gotten a little gun-shy ever since signing Zach Parise yep. and Ryan oh, no Suter question. to those ridiculous contracts? No doubt. And, and that's part of the problem. And so what you end up having is a guy who's wants to be a little bit more conservative so he doesn't screw up again like he did with the Yeah, Paul, well, well, he sees the errors it's, of his past. Then, yeah. Paul Fenton's well, still digging but, but, out there. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, that team I, is stuck. Well, okay, <laughs> so fine. So so he's, he's worried about that. Uh, to me, if I make a mistake on a, on a contract or on a player, bring in the wrong guy or whatever, where I make a trade and it's not the right trade, and I get it and you deserve some heat for it, and that's fine. But that doesn't mean that I should suddenly say, oh, well, I, I can't be risky again. I can't go out and take a chance on something again. That To me, that doesn't make any sense. You're never going to, you're never going to get to where you need to go until, unless you take a chance every once in a while. And the fact that they don't do it tells me that they're going to continue to be a, a, a middle-of-the-road team, and yeah, okay, might they make the playoffs this year because they got a better coach and, and they got a couple of small upgrades? Okay, yeah, but are they going to be a team that's going to make that great run? No. So why, why am I going to get so invested in it? I don't, I don't, like, the, I don't like the approach. I, I'm I, sorry. Will, I will say – okay. Go ahead, Jason. Uh, well, I want to ask this. Should that team last year that came in with James Van Riemsdyk and I don't want to play the game if he didn't get hurt. But should that team last year made the playoffs? I've made the playoffs. No. Um. Consider eight yeah, goalies. Yes. If, if let's if if the if Elliot's healthy all year, yeah, yeah, they should have. If okay, they yeah. that's fair. But that's a big if too. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's yeah, a big I mean, if, and, and we know how their usage of goalies and, and the issue that that was. And perhaps that was Hextall's biggest sin is coming back with Michael Neuvert as a backup when it's clear he can't stay on the ice. So that being said, if they were a playoff team last year with the nominal upgrades of this year of Kevin Hayes, and that also helps your penalty kill, by the way, and your depth on your power play, because power play two last year was – power play one was bad. Power play two – was you're better off letting the guy out of the box right. and they playing five on five. Yep. Yeah. So when you look at that, this team should take a step forward. And I do, I do agree to go back a little bit in the sense that I don't want to market everything around Carter Hart. And while I would say there were a lot of moments last year where he was great, I'm not convinced that he is the Messiah because I don't think that you can be convinced that anybody 
playing that position is a messiah when they're going to be 21 in yeah, August. No question. You do have to see more. I'm not convinced about Bennington. Yeah, I, I'm a little more convinced about Bennington just because of age, but I get what you're saying. And I think mm-hmm. Hart can do it, but you're right. You have to see it again because a lot of times there is a hiccup in the second year. But to me, you talked about JVR. Now, JVR, when he was playing with the Leafs, was playing in choice situations. That's how Babcock had him out there because he knows five on five, he's not very good. And he actually cut down his five on five play a lot. If if Elaine Vigneault does that with him here, which is entirely possible, then that even minimizes him more as far as the amount of money you've allocated to him. Oh, I mean, I look, I... I think that the, there are certainly pieces here with this Flyers team that could make this a, a better team than it was a year ago. I just think there are too many ifs and hopes with this team, and, and that's the way. And, and look, they could all come; they all could all come to fruition, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, guess what? We have a fun season on our hands. But they could just as easily all not come to fruition at all, and we have a disaster on our hands. Like, well, let that let's play of, that out. Let's play that out. That kind of swing. Go ahead. Yeah. Let's play that. Okay. So, is Provorov going to be the Provorov of erratic play like he was last year? Is he going to play? Is this before or after the holdout? (laughs) Well, it depends. That's a a good point. (laughs) Is he going to play? Assuming he's in camp, and then and then like to couple that, is Sanheim going to take the next step in a progression that looks pretty incredible? I think he is. Yes. Okay. I I think. What about Konechny? I think Konechny is what he is. Yeah, he's, I mean, you think he's a twenty-four goal scorer? You don't think he's a possible thirty? Well, I, he, I mean, he, in a, in a, good in a season, career year, but otherwise, twenty-four goals is nice in this league. I mean, it is. Okay, yeah. that's year two and year three, by the way. Mm-hmm. Two twenty-four goal mm-hmm. seasons. Yeah, no, I like him. I like Konechny, and I think that he fits. He fits nicely in in, a, in the role that he's in, and I think that he, you know, he continues to be that kind of you know sixty-point player, fifty, sixty-point mm-hmm. player. Yes, yeah, I mean, see, see yeah. to me, to me, the biggest problem last year was the fact that. They couldn't get a save. And when you can't get a save, mm-hmm. and every time you make a mistake, it ends up in the back of your net, you play this game paralyzed. And with the speed and skill it's played with now, if you're playing mentally par- paralyzed because if you fear a mistake and know that when you make it, it's going to be in the back of your net, especially early in games, that, to me, if you can get some saves and you can get above average goaltending, then it's a whole different – the trickle-down effect of that – and, and look, well, maybe. Def- goaltending does not happen in a vacuum. Kevin Woodley says it all the time, and I repeat it because it's such a great statement. It doesn't happen in a vacuum. And it's not just the defensemen in D-zone coverage. It's the wingers. It's everybody. And if they can have better D-zone coverage and limit the amount of high-danger chances that they gave up last year, I think Elliott's best game of the year was when he gave up eight goals against San Jose. <laughs> all right. I, he he was unbelievable really did, he, in that He really game. did have a good game that game, believe it or not. <laughs> it is true. Aside from that, though, you talked about D-zone coverage. So they spent money – they're, they're spending money, rather. They, they went and acquired guys north of 30. And that's iffy. In this league, it's very iffy. Like, Matt Niskan is not the player he used to be. If you brought him in to be a tutor, that's great. But then you also withheld some of Racco Gudis's contract to overpay him to come, which is crazy. Like, that deal was crazy. Even if you're getting Matt Niskan in of last year, it's crazy. Like, that was such an overpayment. I agree with you there. I, I just... Yeah, I- I didn't like I didn't I didn't like any of the deals. I thought there was overpayment for Justin yeah. Braun as well, and I thought they overpaid for Kev, to get Kevin Hayes. 
But at least Hayes, you know that it's it's not it's not thinking that you overpaid to get Kevin Hayes. It is a hundred percent that you know. overpaid to get Kevin. Correct. Hayes. No, but you. But you, I mean, it, that might be. Uh, look, I, I'm not trying to like crap all over the signing. But like, let me allow me allow me to crap all over the signing. It's it is way it, the the term is absurd and the and the annual average for a guy that as I think it was Anthony said earlier is you know a, a bit better than a three C. Like, I I keep coming back to this idea of the cap space that you had going into this offseason, even though you had, you know, plenty of RFAs that you had to bring back. I get that. It it felt like, especially between that and the prospect trove that you have, you should have gone out and and made a bigger acquisition to be your 2C, somebody who is going to push to be, not to overtake Sean Couturier, but somebody that you think... You know, if the team is in a slump, somebody that could go up and and if you're looking to to switch up the the top six a bit, somebody that could go and and flip with Sean Couturier and and you not see this massive drop in play and on the top line, Kevin Hayes to me is a guy who like I mean if if all goes well, of course you want Nolan Patrick to really establish himself as a dynamic or at least a reliable two C. But I mean, imagine what this team looks like in a year or two if Patrick does take that next step as a somewhat respectable 2C. Kevin Hayes, you know, barely cracks 50 points again, and he ends up being a seven-plus million dollar a year 3C for the next seven years. That's insane to me. But he'll, he'll... Well, I think you have to. I think you have to also consider that in a rising cap league, and it didn't rise much this year, and it won't next year. Players are didn't not kicking in the escalators because there's going to be a huge jump in two years when the new American TV deal comes right. in. Um, it's still just 8% of the cap. That, you have to consider not the number, because it is a big number. You have to consider, and I preached this when they signed James Van Riemsdyk, you have to look at the percentage of cap that the number is more than just the number itself, because it's a shock value number, $7 million. That's like a Milan Lucic contract in Edmonton. My, my but, concern was the seventh year, Jay. Well, of the course, term, yeah. You're going to lose on the back end. Me, yeah. The term to me was worse than the, the number. I, I don't care what you – I don't care so much what you pay a guy. Uh, my, I care with how much you're paying a guy for how long. That's fair. Yeah. I can't defend the seventh year. But I could say at least with that player there's upside. With the defenseman they got, there's no upside. You're just hoping that they maintain. That's really where you're at. Yeah, they're, they're, Russ, they're what's going the, down what is the, the real upside of What's the real upside of Kevin Hayes? Well, Kevin Hayes – with Vigneault, if he is allowed to make some stretch passes, play a little bit faster on open ice, he could make some things happen with open ice that definitely would not happen in Winnipeg because they wouldn't allow it and that people haven't seen in a few years. So if his skating's on par, I mean, again, a couple of years ago, there was a bad offseason for him and he didn't come in in shape. He's going to come in in shape. And if he gets really good offensive opportunities, I think you'll see 60, 65 points out of him. I do. I think I think there's a level there. The thing about Kevin Hayes was three, four years ago on the Rangers, I worried about his hockey sense. He has gotten past that. He's actually pretty good defensively now. So I think he has learned at the NHL level, and that's why I do think there's upside with him, whereas with the other picks, with the other players, it's like, okay, with Niskanen, if you really got him to tutor your younger defenseman, great. But if you knew you were going to get Braun, you could have had Braun do that, and you could have used that money for something else. If nothing else, you probably could have traded for Jason Zucker because, you know, Minnesota would happily get rid of him if they got the right deal, and then you worry about who this other defenseman is because you got Braun. Like, I think at least they could have done something like that, but, you know, they didn't. So 
one thing to wrap that up real quick though and the, the one thing and we talked about the term that i and nobody likes the seven years and i agree um i the thing i worry about is when a player gets to be 33 and he doesn't have the half a step to lose that you can't he's not a player that has that half a step to lose and can be able to play around that i right. hate to i hate to compare him to wayne simmons but simmons never had a half a step to lose and when he lost a half a step his efficacy went down mon- in a huge way yeah so right and anyway. i think and kevin hayes faces that a similar possibility so yeah yep. i mean I, that, that's the that's the concern the least hey, the Ross, least getting f- uh, faster and more skilled every day yeah. All hey, right, Ross, how about we hit some Twitter questions? You know, I love Twitter questions, Anthony. I, Especially you know, since I, you made me tweet it out that, you know, oh, we need oh, more. Oh, I'm sorry. You know, it's it's so hard, Anthony. It's so hard to click the button. You know, it's it's so difficult. I'm 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 so sorry that I, I made you, you know, press a button. Life is hard. I feel like Jason, I feel like we walked in on a bad moment here, don't you? Well, we can get <laughs> we can get you guys a nice counselor. Thank you. I appreciate that. I feel like uh, it's like Jim and Pam in the last season of The Office. Anyway, um, so we've got uh, Chris at C-M-A-E-N-Z-18 who says, who finishes with more points this season, Oscar Lindblom or Nolan Patrick? <sighs> Anybody want to take it? I, I got I'll, I'll go, I'll, I'll go on Lindblom. I'll, I'm going to go Nolan Patrick because I think under Vigneault's system, those flashes that we saw, we'll see more often. I hope you're right, but I think he's going to play third line for a while. And I sure, I, I think Limbaugh. I still think he can do I it. I think Limbaugh might get more opportunities. Can, yeah, I'm going, to, I'm going to say Nolan Patrick too, just because from a matchup perspective. Can I throw a crazy idea out to you guys really quick about Nolan Patrick? Because I, I, I think it might end up being Limbaugh. But has Nolan Patrick ever done anything to make you think that he elevates his wingers? Like, is he a guy that is at, able at to to, ra- to raise the level? I'm saying at the NHL level, has he done anything? Has he shown any consistency to you guys that makes you think that he's going to be able to elevate that third line to a point where he might get himself promoted to the 2C? Well, you've Not seen yet, him on the power sure. play. Where, yeah. I mean, in that in that front position where he's been good. Um, and even on the half wall, I think that, yeah, he has, he has an ability to see the game at an elite level, so... To, to me, that yeah, he does have that part of his game, but you haven't seen a lot of it yet. But I think the other thing with him is that gets overlooked, and it's not sexy, is that he was a good 200-foot player in the second half of last year. Is there a, a scenario where it makes sense to you guys if the team gets out to a, a rough start? I I view this as a, as something that might jumpstart him and maybe ends up benefiting the team, but I think it it would go over pretty poorly. Could you see a scenario where Patrick becomes the top center on the team? They drop Couturier to the 2C because they know what kind of play they're going to get from him both ways, and Hayes drops to 3C. No. No. Okay. They get killed on faceoffs. Okay. Yeah. I just wanted to put it out. Um, all right, then we got have, to... Then you can have two $7 million players on the third line. <laughs> oh, come on, man. Oh, is uh, is Shane Gossespierre going to play? What? I'm just kidding. Uh, I'm so surprised Steve, that name hasn't uh, come up yet. Uh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm the bad guy. Uh, Steve Appleman asks, uh, with Chuck Fletcher not really making a ton of earth-shattering moves from lying on the core, do you think that Vigneault and his coaching staff can have a big impact on the team the same way Trotz had with the Isles or uh, Coach Q might have with the Panthers? Russ Cohen, that sounds like a question for you. I, I will just say every team Elaine Vigneault has coached in their first year has made big jumps, so I would expect it. Yeah, I wouldn't want to compare it to Barry Trotz, who shaved off a complete no. goal. <laughs> they were the worst defensive team in the NHL the year before he got there, and they gave up an average of a full goal less per game 
Now, everybody goes, well, look at Robin Leonard and look at Grice, but that was this defensive system. So it, it won't be that pronounced, but I think that, yeah, he, he's the guy that's going to hold people more accountable. Well, I, I wonder about the whole staff, though, with Yo and Michelle Therrien and yeah, and I was a little surprised by the by the roles that those guys are taking. Yeah. They kind of they're kind of like the opposite of what I thought it was going to be. Um, Russ, let me ask you since you're you're you know more tied you were more tied in with like the New York Rangers than I ever was. Um, is Vino's style uh, the kind of style that's going to really help defensively? Because I always got the sense that they were more of a go 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 kind of team with the Rangers under Vino. And like really opportunistic offensively, and that they really relied a lot on Lundqvist to kind of save their defensive mistakes. No, actually, Vigneault is is a pretty defensive coach. It's just that he preaches pace. He really likes everybody to move the puck up the ice quickly out of the offensive zone, but he does preach defense. So he'll, you know, they they actually played less in their own zone with Vigneault than they did with Tortorella, where they were always playing in their own zone. Right? I mean, that was his style. Block shots. Okay. Yep. All right, next question is from at uh, Evan Adkins 08, who says, uh, isn't it organizational malpractice for Fletcher to say at the end of the year they almost need a 1B a backup goalie to split games, then he re-signs an aging Elliott? I know this was something that we talked about a little bit earlier about the, uh, the importance of having somebody that you can rely on in net. What are your thoughts about a guy who's had core muscle issues in Brian Elliott being brought back to be the, uh, the backup to Carter Hart? I have a slight opinion on this. Um, <laughs> Go ahead, Mr. Goalie. Um, I, to me, the the I've been saying this for a year and a half, that if he was ready to transition into that role as a mentor, then he was the right guy to do it because he's better than any backup goalie. He can still play the position. And the the core issues that he's had in his core of his body – was one issue that he came back too quick from because Peter Morazic couldn't stop a beach ball from the blue line, and they were trying to make the playoffs, and it led to him having to have another surgery. And then the beginning of this year, he had to break down all that scar tissue. He told me off the record it was very painful to break that scar tissue down and to get his game back to some kind of level where he felt physically comfortable. I think it's I think it's a perfect situation for Brian Elliott. I, I was delighted with the move, and despite the things that I had heard about Elliott before he got here, I haven't experienced any of them. I, I mean, I heard from people in Calgary that he that. was a nightmare, and maybe that's because he just had a kid when he when he was there, and it was very erratic. I don't know, but I didn't. Ex- I haven't experienced anything but really good relationship with him and back and forth. I just don't know if he could play thirty two, thirty three games, which is what Fletcher wants him to do. I, I'm expecting Alex Lyon to to play a few games this year, no matter what, right or wrong. Yeah, I mean, I think thirty three is fine as long as it's not. Three and five days. Three in a row. Yeah, I mean, it's not as long as the usage is. Now, look, you're you're, you know, is Hart going to be healthy for the entire season? Where Elliott's going to have to play a stretch? Probably not. I mean, injuries happen at that position, so he's going to have a spot where he's going to have to be ridden a little bit, or he gets hot, and you're going to have to know when to to back off. And like you said, Russ, you may have to go to Alex Lyon in that situation, so you don't overuse him, knowing at 33 his age, that that. That, that's going to be penny wise and pound foolish, but I, I think I think it's a great situation. I don't think the money's too much. I think it's fine. Yeah, I, I like bringing Brian Elliott back as well. Um, and they know his medicals better than anybody. I, I, I'm not worried. I'm not worried about the need for a uh, third guy to play games. I you know injuries happen. 
Uh, do I think that Brian Elliott is a is an injury waiting to happen, kind of like um, uh, Michael Neuver was? No, I don't. I think that I think Brian Elliott is a guy that you know. I think thirty games is is a legitimate possibility for him. He basically has played thirty each of the last two seasons without a problem. That was with injuries. Yeah, right. But you know what the problem with it was. He'd play and he'd be out, and he'd play and he'd be out, and and that you can't really have that in your back. You're right. Now. You're right. But he but he also was being forced to play a lot in a row. Yes. Because and, and and he couldn't rec- ever recover from the core muscle injury, and that and that was part of the problem. If you're now just basically saying, okay, we need you to go out there and play, and then we won't need you to play again for another week or week and a half, I think he'll be fine, and you get thirty games out of him that way. Um, you know, I I think he'll be okay. I, I'm not. I'm really not worried about. I like the actually like the Flyers' goaltending situation. Yeah, I and mean, the plan was obviously Cam Talbot, but when he got here and the way he performed in his limited amount of playing just wasn't that good enough. And you going, are we getting the Cam Talbot that came out of New York, or are we getting the Cam Talbot that we got from Edmonton for Anthony Stolarsson? So I don't right. think they felt and, comfortable and I, there. I also think that you know when you when Vino takes over as coach and you say to him, you know, what do you think of Cam Talbot as the potential backup goalie, he maybe he doesn't like him. Maybe yeah. he feel maybe he felt that Brian Elliott was a better choice too because he knows a lot more about Cam Talbot. So yeah, I think this is a good situation. A lot of players. institutional knowledge there. I totally agree. Yeah. All right, BJ Beretta has a, a couple of tweets here. The expectation after the Hextall firing was to blow up the core and trade some assets to compete now. Names like Ghost and Voracek were being thrown around. Both are still here. No assets move and no humongous big signings. Did something change internally, or did we just guess wrong? I don't. I don't ever remember hearing them say that. Yeah, I don't either. Well, no, but I, I think that I think what he's getting at is that there was a time. Well, let's see. I, I'd say uh, very early in last season, where there was a t- where Vorchek's name briefly came up as a potential guy that could be moved if things went bad. Um, but that kind of died out. But Gossip Bear's name has been floating out there for for a long time now, and it, they did they didn't move it. They didn't move Gossip Bear, which I, Jay, I, I'll tell you, I'm surprised. I'm surprised well, too. With- I heard a lot. I heard his name a lot, Anthony. And the one thing with him is what I did hear initially is that when Vino was hired, that the kind of the take was, and this came to me off the record, was he's a guy that. AV thought maybe let me take a crack at him and see what I can right. get. Um, but then when Vino returned from Worlds, it was kind of upon further review after looking at some of the the tape and the D zone coverage and the lack of strength and board battles and stuff that it was well let's let's open up that option again. And I still think that that option is open now. I'm told um, that he's still a name that is out there and pending how this Marner situation plays out or some of these restricted free agents that his name could still be involved in deal because right now we're sitting with a log jam because of the all of the RFAs whether that's something because I'd mentioned Nikolai Ehlers is a name that I had heard um, from somebody that I really have a lot of trust in and I think that that is a player that they have targeted and pending how that situation kind of plays out in Winnipeg will depend on 
on that part of the equation. I don't think August will be as quiet as it traditionally is because of this RFA situation and the trickle down effect once a forward RFA signs and then a defensive RFA signs. The, the one thing I want to I want to add to that, you know, and, and I, I, you know, it's good to hear you say that. And I had heard Ehlers as well, but back prior to uh, the draft or right around the draft. Is when That's exactly I when I reported it to him. Yeah. Yeah, it was right around then. Um, uh, my, I guess my the only thing that I, I sit here and say, well, okay, maybe Vino wants to take a crack at, you know, Gossip Bear. How, how can you, can you see Gossip Bear with Tarion? Now that Tar- you know, Tarion's kind of hand- the way he's handled defensemen in the past, like I, I can't see that relate. I can't that. I know Gossip Bear and and Jay. I know you know this as well. Hasn't always been a fan of the coach, the assistant coaches who are in charge of defense, right? Yep, Rick Can- Wilson. How- yeah. yeah, I mean, and, and even before Rick Wilson, like yep. I, he didn't he didn't have a great relationship with those guys either. With Gord, yeah, yeah, G- yeah, Gord Murphy. Um, uh, g- <laughs> Can you see it being any better with Michelle Tarion? Well, I mean, we don't know. I can't. It, it's hard to see that. I agree. But I will say this. I don't know how you could trade Gostaspir when you don't know what's going on with Provorov because then all of a sudden Vigno doesn't even have a number one defenseman anymore because, you know, that's the big problem. I, I, but I think you have yeah. to assume you have to assume you're keeping Provorov. I mean, he may he hold out? Sure. Um, I don't think he'll hold out into the season. I think he'll – you know, he may hold out part of training camp and, you know, some of the preseason, but I don't think we're going to see December uh, 1st. <laughs> yeah, or anything like that. I think he'll I think he will eventually sign and play. Just wait until the Flyers slip into Toronto for uh, the rights to Mitch Marner. I'm just kidding. Uh, Sean Moore brought up uh, the Provy signing or potential signing and he asked, uh, what contract do you see Provy signing and what would you sign him to? I think those are two very different kind of uh, questions, but what would you sign him to and what do you think he'll ultimately get? You want to take this for us? I, I, yeah, I mean, I would, I would, I would love to give him seven and a half by seven if he would sign tomorrow. But I think he wants more AAV than that. He's not worth ten, and I know that's what he's looking for. He's not worth ten. No, not even close. No, yeah, but he's not, not worth if it. If he was a number one power play quarterback, then we could have a different conversation. But he's not. Correct. <laughs> and he's coming off a very erratic year. I mean, to me, I mean, it's easy to say just bridge him, but I don't think he wants to do that. He doesn't want to do that. Either. Yeah, so I think you're. I think you're going to end up at about a seven and a half by five. So the question is, will he come? To, so maybe you give a little bit more money, but yep. f- tell him he has to take less term. Yeah. Nah, that 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 but and then that ends up being a little bit a little bit of a bridge anyway. Um, yeah, it's like I, sl- slightly longer than a yeah. you know a three year bridge, and it gets you. Right. It gets well, him I mean, to Austin UFA. Matthews, Austin Matthews only took five because he wanted to be a UFA again. Provorov may go the same route. Yeah, you would it shock you guys if, in your prime? Would it shock you guys if he gets like eight two five over six? No. Would that be something that's palatable? Since we already brought up the the idea of the American TV deal coming up in a couple of years, is is eight and a quarter per season for six? Is is that really that bad of a deal if if the cap goes up the way that you hope it might? Well, I mean, you can't get defensemen like that in the open market, and based on what they have, who are you really going to have that can replace them? So I think you have to almost do it if that's what it comes down to. Yeah, I think there's a little risk in that number to me. I don't love it. I don't either. Could think, it set a bad think, pre- like? Do you think, think it could Jason set a bad precedent right with price. some of the other guys that you have? I mean, I, I know that Sanheim signed a, a short deal, but do you worry about what that could look like if Sanheim continues to develop and you end up giving – 
Like, is is there a chance that Sanheim ends up becoming a a more valuable player overall to your team than Provorov is? Mm, I don't think yeah, so. I don't know about close, I but I don't yeah, think I don't so. know about that. But to me, the thing is, is you can't compare them because, like, looking at, at a team like Chicago, like who's getting paid what there on the, on their blue line, and it doesn't make sense because when guys sign their deal, it's based on the cap when they sign their deal. So sometimes it's hard to compare the number and and yeah, have it but, make but sense. At least- you know. I look at it this way. At least Provorov wouldn't be like 35 and still collecting that check. He won't. Oh, no. Uh, next one, we've got uh, Andrew Alton who says, imagine we had Patrick Lane. Would Pro-V be enough? Lane. Lane. Or, sorry, Lane, yeah. Uh, would Pro-V be enough? Worried about giving in to his contract demands. Seems like an exact match for both teams in a multitude of ways. Please discuss. I wouldn't do it. I wouldn't do it. He's a one-dimensional goal scorer. I mean, he's a great player, but I wouldn't do it. He's got the greatest release in the league since Ovechkin, but um, no, I wouldn't do it either because he's way erratic. Um, He'd be exciting, though. (laughs) I'll tell you that. Certainly would, but a number one defenseman is far more important than a goal scorer. A winger. Than a sniper. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the reasons why I looked at the money that Panarin got, and I'm going, he's a winger, you know? Yeah. He creates a lot, though. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. No doubt. Uh, Chris, Naff- Chris Naffy asks if the Verona contract will have any kind of impact on the Konechny negotiations. Konechny will get more. Yeah, I think he'll get more, too. Yeah, I mean, maybe it sets a little bit of a market for him. Like maybe gets them a step or two closer, but I don't think that one's going to linger into camp. Uh, no. K- KMC at McCormick 1978 says check on the move, possibly free up cash and package him with a ghost or another young defenseman for a sniper. No, too much. nobody will Who's take making that contract. The deal? This... Who's got the cap space? That's too much. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you're talking, you're, you're talking $12 million you have to take on there. 13. Yeah. I'm sorry. $13 million you have to take on there. You're hoping Seattle takes forward check. That's what you're hoping. And this, and mind you, this is two year or two weeks now past free agency. Who's got that kind of, Cap space laying around that wants to do something with a guy like Jake Voracek at this point. A uh, question here for uh, the the great Gashby, who says, "How do you see the defensive pairings shaping up?" I saw I that porno. Pers- <laughs> 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 uh, Was that out loud? So, uh, no, it's good. Sorry, hon. This per- this, this uh, person says uh, they they see it working out as uh, Sanheim, Niskanen, Provi, Braun, and Myers Ghost. Your I thoughts? Think Pro, I think Provy plays with Niskanen. Yeah, he has to. I, I That's totally why they agree, got him. Yeah. That's why they got him. Yeah, Braun plays uh, with Sanheim. Right. And that leaves Sam Moran and Haig not dressed. I don't. To be honest, I don't, I'm not even sure Sam Moran's in the conversation. But okay. Well, Myers has been eff- effectively given that spot, right? So it's yes. it's got to be him and, I him and Ghost as a third pair. Yeah, right? right. as of right now, but boy, I don't like that pairing. Neither do I. <laughs> uh, not a little bit do I. I, I, don't, I like don't like that like for the bit. development of Phil Myers in any way, shape, yeah. or form. Yeah. That's why I think it, they'd be better off with – he'd be better off playing with Haig <laughs> than he would with Ghost. I know it's crazy to say, but I, I – yeah, I think Myers would develop better with, with Haig. Again, just remember, Anthony, Ghost is going to be our uh, our third-line right winger. Everybody knows it. Uh, yeah. Kyle of the Dead says, uh, what exactly does the management team think they've done to win back or excite this fan base? A number of scenarios that need to go right for them to be competitive is too many to list. To, to me, this is like one of the weirdest things. Um, because, yeah, it wasn't a sexy offseason. Are they better? Yeah, they're better. But the, the only thing that matters is if you win games. 
it doesn't matter right. that you didn't sign Panarin or you did sign Panarin. If you didn't win, it doesn't matter. And people look at it and say, well, look, the Devils and the Rangers now lap the Flyers' rebuild. Are the Devils or the Rangers a better team than the Flyers right now? Not yet. I mean, they may have a brighter the, the, long-term future because they drafted 1-2 and they got Kako and they got Jack Hughes. But, I mean, I, I would think that people that have watched this sport would know that you know, look at a team like Edmonton who has all these – I mean, they have a 50-goal scorer in Leon Dreisaitl and the most spectacular talent in the game, and they can't make the playoffs. And Connor McDavid, to even give them a fighting chance to stay in the conversation until December, accounts is in on 52% of their goals. <laughs> I mean, this league is all about being able to roll four lines. So uh, here's the, I want to answer this question slightly differently, though. I, I, I want to say it in this way. Um, yeah, they're going to be better, but will the fans come back if they're only just marginally better? Like if they're not till okay, the right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I think that there's been so much bridge burning between the organization and the fans from the ticket price increases to just being mediocre to you know, all kinds of different things. Yeah, whatever. That I, you know, the Kate Smith thing for what it's, I mean, it, it means a lot to, to some people. Um, I, I really do think that the, this, these fans are not bought back into this organization until the postseason. Yeah. Well, look, look what the Phillies the did. They went out and they got Bryce Harper, and he's the biggest star in the sport. Not the best player, the biggest star, because Mike Trout plays in Los Angeles. But, it, if it doesn't help you win, it ultimately doesn't matter. It's all, it, The only thing that matters is winning. True. I, the only thing I would say is come and see the new Jumbotron. There you go. Oh, yeah. You know what? I talked to somebody down there. Literally, we were having a conversation about how the Wells Fargo Center means more than, than the team does. And, uh, and that was my assessment. And the person I was talking to was like, oh, no, no, no. It's gonna be, fans are going to be enjoying everything. Where will they see the new screen? And I'm like, okay. <laughs> Yeah. But that's not the team on the ice. The screen will be kind of cool. All right, I'll, I'll come down and check it out. But if the team still stinks, I'm not coming back a second time till they're good. Yeah. That's what yeah. I think the problem is. Yeah. If they can't get a save and on the screen they're getting destroyed defensively and giving up goals, I don't care how good it looks. <laughs> Give me the right. old spectrum speckly dot thing that looked like a light bright. <laughs> yeah, because after winning. a few injuries – after a few injuries, just think about how nice it's going to look, you know, every time a goal is scored on Alex Lyon in, in a beautiful 4K display. Yeah. Right? <laughs> um, I, I think before we go, like, the, the last thing that came up, and I know that it was something that Russ uh, said he's teed off on before, but I, I think it's kind of worth <laughs> mentioning because, you know, we, we talked about earlier the, the need for players maybe to, uh, to begin to, I don't know, get themselves out there, right? The idea was pitched about the fact that the NHL's hard cap sucks and that they should implement a soft cap similar to what you see in the NBA because there's been so many uh, headlines taken over this offseason by the NBA, by player movement, by players dictating trades. Do you think the NHL has the best system? And and would you be open to the possibility of of taking on a, a cap format or a cap style that's a little bit more similar to what the NBA has? No. No, me neither. I don't think that's NBA, good for the NBA. Well, the I NBA mean, is it's great terrible. now, but yeah. The players run the league. Yeah. The NBA, the NBA situation, for, for all you idiots who love that, Russ, I'm talking to you, Russ Joy, okay? <laughs> for all you idiots who think that that's a good way to, to run a business, it's a disaster. 
All it is is that, it's just that you play with whoever you want. There's no, there's no team building. There's no, uh, no, there's nothing. It's nothing there. It's just like I'm gonna play with my friends. Okay. Yeah. That's all it I will is. Tell you, and it doesn't, will, it doesn't matter to the, the fans. Don't matter. The cities don't matter. Nothing matters. We're just gonna play with our friends. Don't matter who drafts I, who. Nothing. Just think I will stupid. add this. I will add this for Russ Joy's benefit. Look up the list of max contracts, and maybe three or four of them make sense. Well, the other the other part of it too is this for me is I look at it and I go in a sport where development takes much longer than it does in that league. There's no way you can do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. No. So let me That's let me way. counter this really quickly, Anthony, because I know it's hard for you. Um, <laughs> if you take a look at the most valuable sports franchises in the world, it's the worst. It's the worst in any sport. Why? It's it's the worst look setup of the, any sport. There's none that is. There's none worse. Tell me how the NFL is worse. Tell me how Major League Baseball is worse. Tell me how the well, NHL. The NHL has the most c- competition from top to bottom in the league of any of the four major sports because of the way they have their salary cap structured. What has it got in the NHL in terms of revenue? It their doesn't cap is, matter. Well, it kind of does. Ma- if you're no. trying, if you're trying no. to grow your sport, no. Wrong. You would, you would Russ, think this is where you are so far gone. You are so far gone with this. It the NBA, the NBA's revenue, their the TV NBA is deals, not competitive. It, it's not competitive until the playoffs. They play eighty-two games that don't make, and yet they don't mean and debt. yet the they contracts, the the contract, the the TV revenue that they get, the TV deals they get, the marketing because the, the sport the, is popular the, worldwide. The endorsements, the endorsements the yes. players get far exceed what hockey does. Hockey needs to take a page. You think that has something to do with the the salary cap structure? You're out of your freaking mind. It's not even when you close. Have, when you have a sport that is able to take over this, this, the news cycle at any point in a 365-day calendar, yes, Russ, there is, some, there is Russ, something that needs to be adopted. Hockey's not growing, Anthony. I don't know what to tell you. Russ, you're a moron. I'm done. Okay. <laughs> I'm not looking to sell more shitty burgers. I'd rather just keep selling good burgers to less people. <laughs> Thank you. Like wow. Okay. All right, guys. Well, uh, this was our crossover episode. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm gonna go cry in a corner. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. And um, oh yeah, on our way out, I forgot to mention uh, if you are uh, if you're running on empty, kind of like I am right now, and you need a little <laughs> bit of propane, go check out the fine folks at Cinch by Amerigas. Use the bonus code, the promo code Crossing Broad, and they will deliver a full propane tank to your house for ten dollars. Just leave your old tank out front on the doorstep, on the driveway, wherever you want, and they'll exchange it for a new propane tank, and that only costs you ten dollars with the promo code Crossing Broad. So big thank you to them. And of course, uh, thank you to uh, to Jason and Russ. Although you are not a Flyers podcast, you are a hockey podcast, and we we love you dearly. Thank you for joining us on the Only Flyers podcast. Hey, Jay Russ, just so you know, um, we we have an opening at Snow the Goalie. Anytime you guys want to. <laughs> Why? Where are you? Are you going to the Athletic? I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm going to announce on Twitter tonight that I'm joining the Unathletic. That's right. Oh. <laughs> will we get a Will we get a forty percent off coupon or no? Okay, I'm, sorry. I'm done. All right, guys. Uh, thanks, thanks for being on. And uh, for Snow the Goalie listeners, uh, don't forget go uh, go spread the word and and let everybody know about Stick to Hockey. I, I'm guessing you guys are available in the same place as we are, which is uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, mm-hmm. Spotify, iHeartRadio, everywhere else you would get and your podcast. Well, oh, you're on Wildfire. Wildfire. Yes, that is true. Yep. So uh, we will uh, talk to all the Flyers fans out there again soon.